Well, good morning. Wow, that was a weak sauce. Good morning. Well, there, thank you, but you can't speak for everybody, Paul. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you. Little energy, little energy, just a little bit. Hey, how many of you were at uh, this, this past week's uh, week of encounter where we did prayer? Okay, raise your hands high. How many felt the Lord move in that time for you? Okay. I want to encourage you with some, as we go into this morning, those of you that were there um, and felt an encounter with the presence of God, tell somebody. And notice I said, tell somebody, not preach at somebody. But share your experience, what the Lord is doing. How many of you that didn't go had an encounter with the Lord at some point in the last couple weeks? Raise your hand. Okay, if you haven't already, share that with somebody. Again, not preaching at somebody. Share that with somebody. We... uh, starting this new year, have talked about posturing and talked about what it looks like um, to posture ourselves before the Lord in a way in which we are surrendering to him that he can have all of us and not just part of us. And uh, then we, we did that moving into this week of encounter, which has traditionally been our week of prayer and fasting. But we want to move more into a culture of prayer, not just you know, a week out of the year, which is good, which is good, it's a good emphasis, but a week out of the year is it's not when we just focus on connecting with God. It's every day. It's every moment. Well, last week I shared, uh, we talked about carrying some burdens. Who, who's carrying a burden for the world around you? Anybody? Okay. And how the Lord will lead us into those places, whether we feel prepared or not. But when we're with him, we have all that we need. Jesus is enough. Well, I shared my burden. My burden is kind of what we're going to talk about today and next week, leading into a series that we're going to do for about three months on Philippians, on the book of Philippians. And the book of Philippians, how many have read through Philippians? How many have studied Philippians? How many of you found it really easy? Okay. No one has the courage to raise their hand on that one. Okay, it's a challenging book, is it not? But Paul is writing to a group of people that have been staying in the presence of God, but writes to them to encourage them to stay there because it's so easy to slide off and get stuck in complacency. And ever since I was in second grade, that has been my burden. I grew up in the church and I saw people doing a lot of things in the name of Jesus that weren't Jesus to me or talk in a big game in the context to talk a big game, which was at church, and then I would see them outside of it, and I'm going, what is going on? There's a, get, a disconnect there for me, and I fell into that trap too. We all do at some point or some place in our lives, but one of the things that, now this is just an observation. It's fallible, okay? It's not necessarily gospel truth, but the observation I have when the world looks at a church, the church in America especially, They see a name-only church. And we don't purposely want to be there. We don't purposely position ourselves to be a name-only Christian. When we encounter God, there's a breakthrough that happens that makes us want to start the journey. But what happens is we get get a little scared off at the reality when the reality doesn't meet our expectation, the idea of Jesus. Because the idea is great. Is it not someone that God sent his one and only son 
to, to save us from our sin. My sin is covered. This is exciting. I have new life. I can be with Jesus forever. And the idea is fabulous. It's fantastic. Because it brings hope. It brings a sense of structure or order. And then we become slave to that. And then we realize, wait a minute, something's off. And we get stuck in this, this rut of, of living this nominal Christian faith. And we know something's not right. And for some reason, we can't really identify it. And now we're living in name only. And that becomes our pattern. And then when more people are doing that, then that becomes the expectation and the goal. So if, if half of you started running out of this building right now, because you feel there's a threat or see there's a threat, the other half is probably going to follow suit. Don't you think? Right? You, okay, they're running from Godzilla. We're going to run from Godzilla. When in reality, Jesus is saying, stay in the room. Stay with me. And we can take him when it doesn't meet our idea and put it in this generic lifestyle that doesn't breathe the life that we had hoped. That doesn't mean there isn't moments of breakthrough. But it doesn't become our constant. Now remember this. There is grace on the journey with Jesus. That doesn't, so that means we're, we're covered. It doesn't mean we're going to get it right all the time. But there's grace for that as long as we continue to pursue him. To understand that it's about being with Jesus, not just about submitting to the lifestyle we made Jesus become. So we want to simplify it. It's always going to be about relationship with Jesus. It's always going to be that. Because that's what it's designed. Are there things to do in the name of Jesus? Absolutely. But it comes out of a place of being present with him in a messy, wonderful, challenging relationship. That will always breathe life. It always will. But it's not easy. One of the things that we do when we compare the idea that we have of Jesus to the reality is what is it going to cost me? Even as Christians. How many have had the Lord say to you or you felt the Lord's leading you into a place that you just didn't really want to go to? Right? How many have said no to an invitation like that that God has given you? Okay. Now, I'm not gonna, I can't speak for you, but I can speak for me. And every time I say no, it's because I've counted the cost. It's because I forgot what I gained when I gave my life to begin with. And so when we play the game of counting the cost every time, we forget that we gave up that right by saying, Jesus, I want to be yours. You got it. Whatever you want from my life, you got it. How many have heard the phrase, um, uh, what, what was the finished phrase I said? <laughs> not finish the language, but the, <laughs> right? You start, it's not about how you start, it's about how you finish. Who's heard that phrase? Okay, there's a lot of truth to that. But those of us that are following Jesus, we, we, we begin we, we start that journey for a reason, do we not? And I'm talking about those who've had an actual encounter that said, okay, this is not because they've been feared into it, not because all oh, this just will give me order, but because there was an encounter. So we can't overlook how it starts. Now, hopefully, when we finish, it'll look much better than when 
how we started, but that does not negate the power of how it started. That there was an encounter that happened, and so we cannot lose sight of our first love. We can never do that. Because when we lose sight of Jesus and we focus on all the issues we feel we got to defend Jesus on, then we lose sight of Jesus because we put all our attention on this defense of standing up or standing for, and believe it or not, that becomes a a niche in which we fall into nominality because we've lost sight of our first love, who he is. There are a lot of things that are done that are wonderful in the name of Jesus, but just as many that have been done in an evil way in the name of Jesus. See, it's not about intention. It's not about what you, you, you hope it would look like. It's about relationship with Jesus. That's what the whole thing is about. And so today I want to look at a couple of passages here. And I want you to listen. I hope you have your Bibles and, uh, and I'll tell you where we're going to go in just a minute. But we so often count the cost. And it prevents us from moving forward with Jesus. And then we wonder why things become so hard. Because how many of you have, have described walking with Jesus as hard? Challenging. Much harder to walk without him. Because when Jesus is the only hope. So when you walk without Jesus, is there true life-changing hope? No. He wants us to be right where he is. So when I was thinking about today, I, I wasn't thinking about passages that would be strategic to make a point. I have to look at this in my own life because I'm telling you right now, it's very raw for me. Because I don't get this right all the time. But again, there's grace for the journey. So I'm just going to share a couple of passages that the Lord has used to just speak to me and my heart and how to posture myself. Is that okay? So starting in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, verses 25. This is right after the birth of Jesus. And Mary and Joseph are taking him to Jerusalem to go through the dedication process that's required by the law. And when they get there, we see this. We see a man named Simeon. And what I want, what I want you to do is not get lost in all the, the lingo. I want you to imagine the posture of this man. I want you to picture it. I want you to try and see what you think he's seeing. I want you in your minds, in your hearts, to try and experience what you think he might have experienced. Starting in verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Before he had seen Jesus. Moved or led by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared, now listen to this, in the sight of all people, a light 
for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people, Israel. Now, what does this have to do with what we're talking about? Picture this. Here comes a man who the Lord has said, you are, you are not going to pass from this earth until you see Jesus. And here's the moment he's been waiting for. He's in the temple courts. He sees Jesus' parents. And he picks up Jesus and holds him in his arms. This is the moment. Now, when we read this, we can, we can zip through this. But imagine, here's a moment you have been waiting for. Your whole life, you've been waiting for this moment. And here they, they place Jesus in his arms. You better believe it wasn't hot potato. Oh, there we go. Boom. I want to believe, and I do believe, he looked at Jesus and Jesus looked at him and he savored the moment. It was not a rushed, hurried moment. And his response was praise. This is one of the moments in scripture I wish I could witness because I want to know what that looked like for him. Was it quick glory? Hallelujah. Okay, I got to get to my next thing. We don't hear how long it was. We don't, we don't know what that was like, but here's the deal. When I'm going through my own life, and I know that life is about relationship with Jesus, but let me tell you, the environment around you, whether you're in the church or out of the church, will press you, and it will squeeze you, and it's hard to know where you're supposed to stand, and that's why we got to go back. That's why we got to remember. And for me, that moment that he has when he looks is the moment I felt in my own life. I'll never forget it. I was pretty much dying of diabetes. I had no idea that I had diabetes, and I had lost like 30, 40 pounds in a week, and I'm in the hospital, and it's, it's about 2.30 in the morning. Now, I have lived in a Christian home. I tried to do the right things. I've said a lot about Jesus, but I don't know if I truly met him until that night. And I will tell you what, I've been waiting my whole life for that encounter. And it was like 2.30 in the morning. And I, I, I remember it was almost like I could see him. As Simeon saw him in his arms, I could almost see him. And I remember saying, I can go now. I was ready. Because for the first time, I saw him in the way I was meant to see him. And I felt the Lord say to me, it was almost audible, you're not done yet. And I went, oh, phooey. Because I had never felt in my worst my greatest strength. And I thought, this is what it has to be about. Now, I don't live that perfectly by any means. But it is my goal. It's my hope. So when I look at, at this passage and I think about, excuse me, as Simeon's holding the child. And that moment that he's been waiting for. He was devout. He was considered righteous. But it wasn't complete. He had to have the encounter with Jesus in a way that just blew his mind. He said, okay, now I'm ready to go because I have seen who I've been waiting for. I've seen it. And it wasn't about his devoutness. It wasn't about his righteousness. It was about that moment with Jesus. So we can walk through this life and do all the right things, even, even in the name of Jesus, but miss him. Now, observation, again, 
But when the world looks at the church, do they hear the voice of truth and the love of God? Do they see it? And some, yep, as a whole, I would probably argue not. Because nothing should sway us. Opinions should not sway us from loving someone. Our own opinion about someone's life and how they're living it should not be something that we're fixated on in a way that I've got to help change them. No, what I have to do is love them. And what that means is I point them to Jesus. Not to a behavior modification, but to Jesus. And when that happens, he'll do the rest. He'll convict the heart. He will show you where to go. He will show you what needs to be improved on in your life, not so that you can live a good life, but so that you can receive fully of the blessing of Jesus Christ in your life. And we cannot do that apart from him. Whether we do things in the name of him or not, we have to do those things with him. It's not about standing up for Jesus or standing up for something. And it's not about standing against something. It's about standing with someone, that being Jesus. When you do that, then it's him. It's all him. Moving to Mark 10. This is one of, literally one of my favorite and most heartbreaking passages in all of Scripture. Many of us know this. But a rich, young ruler. How many, how many know where I'm going right now? Devout? Maybe considered righteous? Asks Jesus a question, how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus asks him a list of questions. Have you done this? Have you done that? Listen to the language. Have you done? Have you done? He goes, Lord, I've done all those things. Good. But there's one thing. There's one thing you lack. All with the notion here that Jesus loves this guy. Because you hear it. Jesus loved him. There's one thing you lack. Sell all your belongings. Give it to the poor. And what? Follow me. Now let me tell you what that does to me. Follow me doesn't mean, here boy, come on. Follow me. Come on. Come on. Sit. Heal. Roll over. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a following where I'm walking right beside with my father as he leads the way, but I'm with him. And I'm in partnership. I'm in communion with him. I'm in covenant with him. It's with him. Not me 20 yards behind. I'm with him. That's what that looks like. Come be with me. And it's not just the financial stuff. It's about what we put our confidence in and what we hold to be most dear. And Jesus invited him. He enforced him because he was invited in in the conversation because the rich young ruler asked, what do I need to do? And he gave the invitation by saying, get rid of what you think your confidence should be in and come follow me and watch all your questions not be answered the way you want them. Watch me blow up your box and show you things that you've never seen before and you're going to be confused maybe but with me there's always clarity (sighs) 
When people look at the bride of Christ, they should see a group of people who were called to be the light unto the world that are selling everything that they feel their confidence or what they need to survive and saying, here's my sustenance. If Jesus is enough, put your money where your mouth is and let him be enough. Does it mean there won't be challenge? No, there'll be challenge. But remember, there's grace for the journey. Does it mean every moment you're going to understand what he's doing? No, you're not, actually, a lot of the times. Why would he call someone like me to be over here? I have no idea. But I'm going to go. Because he knows. He knows me better than myself. You're not going to feel prepared when he calls. You're just not. And then when you think you're prepared, you find out, whoa, I'm not prepared. That's why he says, come be with me, follow me, because when you do, you don't have to worry about being prepared because I'm enough. And when you step in me and you trust me, when you stop counting the cost because you've already given me you, then you don't have to worry about that. I've got it. I totally got it. Yeah, thank God. But we're great at picking and choosing what we're going to lay down because of what we think we need. But if you have him, you're prepared, whether you believe it or not or know it or not. You're prepared. I did not feel prepared to be a husband. I wanted it. I didn't feel prepared. I I did not feel prepared to be a dad. I felt I had good tools But the reality goes, yeah, I don't know anything. Lord, you just got to convict me on how to nurture the way you nurture me. (laughs) Thanks for ruining my flow, Mark. (laughs) Hilly, yeah, that's true. So we, we we can't keep trying to count costs because we think we need to be ready. And our version of what that means. Because if we do that, then we're not the bride that God has called us to be. We don't have, let's just be honest, the church doesn't have the voice in this country that it should. We often do this thing where we'll take our theology and we'll take our opinions and we'll put them together and make that our fight. And you will find at the end of the day, Jesus goes, I already won. Why are you doing that? All you have to do is be with me and watch me lead you into the most uncomfortable places you can possibly imagine and change the world. (laughs) It's true, right? People never thought Mark Spencer was going to be where he is. Did you say that last service or this service? (laughs) service. Well, okay. Well, you'll hear that again later. They never thought. They go, Mark, a pastor? You got to be crazy. Mark probably didn't imagine that for himself. And I'll speak for him. He probably didn't feel prepared either. Right? Okay. I still don't either. But as the church, we don't have to have all the answers. Because Jesus is enough. It started with a walk in the garden. 
And we chose to leave that beautiful, wonderful walk. And Jesus comes so that we can walk with him yet again. Not to be a slave to the law or to our opinion or our sense of justice. The greatest justice, if you will, is to love when it hurts and to love all the time. And I don't always know what that looks like, but I don't need to. Because if I can identify Jesus in my life and I go where he goes, it's good enough for me. Now, what do we do with that as a congregation? What do we do that with that as a church family? I don't know outside of we will do all that we can to stay where he is. I don't want to play the pastor gig. I don't want to play the church game, what we've created it to be. I want to go where he goes, personally. And I hope that's why we're here. I've heard it said, and I've said this before, and, and, and I apologize if it sounds harsh. It's not to be sound shaming, but we have a church full of, not here, just all, all around, we have a church full of dead Christians. And what I mean by that is Christians whose faiths they have not allowed to be activated. How sad will it be for someone who's been sitting in a pew for 30, 40 years and has never had relationship with Jesus and they miss that. 30 years doing the church thing doing that I went to the Bible studies I went to which are all good things okay I went to the services I sat there I listened I hoped for I did all these things but I never knew you you were never enough for me no one should ever hear that from the bride of Christ no one They should hear he's always enough. I don't understand why I go through the things I go through, but I know he's good and that there's more than just my circumstances, that he's going to bring joy and healing and redemption in ways I can't possibly explain. I may not have all the answers, but I have the answer. Just stay with me. You're terrified. You're scared. I get it. Give it away and follow me. You're confused. You feel entitled. I get it. Give it away and come follow me. The things that we feel we have to latch on to to stay afloat are not the things that will breathe life. He either has you or he doesn't. Now, again, when I say that, when I say that, that doesn't mean there's not grace in the journey. All I'm saying is that when we live in a pattern of nominality of this in name only, we are going to miss Jesus. God knows it's a process. <laughs> it's not a microwave. Okay, you're raw and now you're cooked. You're ready to go. To be honest, microwave food tastes terrible. We got to simmer. We got to wrestle. And we got to struggle, but it's all in the same direction to be where he is. And you are going to see blessing flow in ways We never thought possible. Again, you'll be called into the most uncomfortable, awkward situations that will stretch you, but they will shape you and they will mold you 
and they will continue to draw you even deeper into his presence. So, you know, I talk with Mark and Sharon about this all the time. If doing what we do is just about doing what we do, I don't want to do it. If it's not to help usher in an understanding that we got to be with Jesus, that we got to go where he goes, that we got to keep seeking no matter how hard it is, no matter what questions we don't have answered yet, I don't want to do this. Because doing the same thing over and over and over and over, expecting different results, is crazy. And it's not about just, re, you know, we can rearrange the furniture. I'm going to stick with this metaphor. Rearrange the furniture all we want. But Jesus wants us to swap it out. He wants to be our all in all. When we sing the things we sing, we got to pay attention to what we're singing. It's not just so you can get the, the holy goosebumps. It's a praise because you see Jesus in an embrace. And you look and you go, I can go now because I've seen him. Paul, when he writes, he's like, you'd rather be in heaven with Jesus. That's where he'd want to be. Because in, in Mark 10, it says, you will find treasure in heaven if you come follow me. What does that mean when he says treasure? How would you define it? It's not gold. It's not, what is it? Jesus. If you want to be in heaven and you don't love Jesus, man, that's going to be hell for you. I'm just saying, right? If it's not about the eternal relationship with the living God who loves us, who simply says, get rid of this and be with me. Why would you even want to be there? Because he's our treasure. He's what you get. He's what you have. And then we get to continue. I, w- I want to challenge us. This has got to be our number one goal. There are a lot, there's a lot of bait out there that we could take that would feel right according to what we believe and what we think. Right? Look at all the political issues. Look at all the the things going on in our country. They're important to be aware of. I'm not dismissing that. But that's bait. We can take that. And we can lose sight of that one right there. We can. And a lot of times we do. But he's calling us for such a time as this. To help redirect the gaze Peter learned it. He, he went out on the water and he took his eyes off Jesus because he was looking at all the things around him, all the dangers, all the things that were going on, and he sank. He lost sight of. And some go, well, at least he got out of the boat. Yeah, that's great, but if he was really abiding in Jesus, he wouldn't even have to get out of the boat to test if it was Jesus. I'd rather stay in the boat and just know he's enough. But Peter learns in Acts 3, he sees the, the cripple outside the gate of beautiful, and guess what? He says, look at me, because I understand the importance, trial and error, of keeping the gaze. 
keeping my sight on him. I don't have all this stuff. I don't have all the answers to every problem that you may have, but I do have this, and I will give it to you. The love of God. Can we commit to do that as a church family? To struggle with it, to wrestle with it, but that be our goal, to be where he is, and not take the bait. Because when we do that, we fall into nominality. And we, we justify it. We talk ourselves in. I'm doing this in the name of Jesus. I'm doing this for Jesus. He doesn't need you to do anything for him. He doesn't need you to defend him. If he needs us to defend for him, he's a puny God. He's already won. Our mandate is to love as he loves us. That's it. And trust him to show you what that looks like. This is a big hint. So we're going to continue to talk about this next week. And how do we stay in a place in that abiding presence? We've all stepped in and out of this. This is not a shaming thing. This is a where do we need to keep our eyes? An encouragement to stay in the simplicity of, of the walk. Just walking with him, being with him. Do you ever wonder what that walk would have looked like if, if humanity had chosen to stay there and not take the bait? Whew. And he invites us on that walk. So we're going to have a time of communion and um, worship. And as we do that, just let yourself just sink in his presence. Just try to posture yourself. Some of us, hey, who has a hard time with relaxing? Anybody? Okay. I want to challenge you to just sink for a minute. It's not about where you've been and what you've done that you've, you're upset about or this or that, there's an opportunity to now step into just him and let him be enough. Because if, if he's not enough for the bride of Christ, we're in trouble. But he's redirecting our gaze to him. Let's be fixated on him. Let's keep it there. So Lord, I, I thank you for your graciousness and your goodness for those moments of breakthrough in our lives. I just want to say right now, if, if any of us have kept you at arm's length, if any of us are in a place where we need to be activated either for the first time or reactivated, I just want to say in the name of Jesus, arise, wake up. It's time. I thank you that we don't have it figured out and never will. I thank you that you are truly enough. And I thank you for your grace that allows us to struggle with this and wrestle with it so that we can grow in it. Become more mature in our relationship with you, not just in what we do but in our relationship with you. So we pray a blessing over our time of offering that everything that we give is from you and for you. And we give freely. I pray that 
we would stop counting the cost and know that you're enough. So we just ask that you bless our time in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name.